Welcome to week three of Overflow, a study out of the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. Today we're looking at exchange it for infinite value. Exchange it for infinite value. Years ago, we went on a family vacation. There was two segments to it, and right between segment one and segment two, and we're on our way in another state to get to a, a family reunion, we had one of those uh, uh, car breakdowns that was terminal. And uh, it was an unhappy situation that we tried to figure out what to do, and we ended up trading the car in for a brand new car. It was not a happy experience <laughs> for me. I think my wife enjoyed the brand new car, and she was okay with it a lot more than I was. I mean, we were already, in those days, uh, uh, kind of stretched thin financially, and we had a car with no car payments, and suddenly everything changed. And now we had all those car payments to go with this exchange, and so I didn't think it was a great exchange. And uh, we're going to talk about a great exchange today. In exchange for greater value. Well, you might be thinking a new car is greater value. Not when you got car payments and you're still paying for it. It's not a greater value. That was my opinion. Then it's... Uh, and anyway, so we're going to be talking about not this great exchange with an auto dealer. We're going to be talking about a great exchange with a grace dealer. A grace dealer who is willing to give us what we don't deserve. Where we trade in our clunker and he gives us a brand new vehicle and it's completely paid for. Now that is what I call great news. And that is the gospel and that's what we're going to be looking at today. I want to jump right into a quote from Jim Elliott. It's on the screen for you. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. If you don't know anything about Jim Elliott, he was a missionary who quickly became a martyr and boy, God used his life and his life well planted and his faith well planted to completely transform the area that he was sent to. It's a great, great story. Encourage you to look into it if you haven't heard about that story. You can find it in movies, you can find it in multiple books. A great story. So we're going to jump into how to have a brand new car. <laughs> Are you excited? Yeah. A brand new car from wherever you are to where God wants you to be. It's a vehicle that God provides for us that is completely free and we have to trade in all our clunkers to get there and recognize the value for what it is. So let's take a look at Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. The first three verses are stark. They're strange. It's a controversy and it reads this way. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Pause right there. Uh, just from memory, I believe he says to the Philippians, rejoice uh, eight times in the letter. And it's every time, it's in every chapter, it's at least once. And so here he's saying it, 
rejoice, but then it's got a strange turn, a strange contrast, which what comes next, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, isn't that a strange set of sentences? Rejoice in the Lord, those dogs, You know, it's like those two things don't seem like they fit together, but they really do. You got to be careful that you don't get derailed from what it is that is our confidence for rejoicing. And that's why Paul is so angry because these Christian, Jewish men were saying to the Gentile Jewish men that the way to take steps from wherever you are to where God wants you to be is to get circumcised. Ouch. And this is awkward talking about this. And yet that's the controversy that Paul was very angry about because it was all kinds of wrong It was contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ where we receive this vehicle to get from wherever we are to where God wants us to be and it's for free. And Jesus paid the price. In fact, he says here, we are the circumcision. He's talking to Gentiles who had never been circumcised who spiritually have had the flesh, the sin, that which held us back from God, cut away from our lives. Spiritually speaking, if you go back to the law and try to do this thing this other way, it's gonna not go well for you. And he was really, really kind of hot under the collar. Strange contrast. So point number one is this. Christ followers don't achieve righteousness, they receive it. Would you say that with me? Christ followers don't achieve righteousness, they receive it. And then Paul in his next section, it's a lengthy section, we'll read verses four through 11, he then uh, tells his true credentials It's going to sound like a strange testimony. We'll talk about that after we read it. Let's read this as he moves away from the credentials of righteousness that these Jewish Christians were trying to get Gentile Christians to adhere to. And Paul is now undermining this by talking about true credentials. Verse four, though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. Now, from a Jewish perspective, that was a good thing. So zealous, he's stomping out the heretics. Okay? He's using his credentials of zeal. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. We think, what? How could that possibly be? Nobody's sinless. No, he's talking about legal righteousness, doing, checking off the boxes, and when you sin, making sure you go to the temple and atone for it. Check, 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 check. Everything's exactly as prescribed. He was faultless. That's what he's saying. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation. Let me say that a little better. And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Isn't that a strange way of putting things? I mean, we hear people tell their faith stories. If you've been around in churches a long time, we call it telling your testimony. If you have not been around in churches, uh, it's like, What's your testimony? It's your faith story about what, how God changed your life. And, and most testimonies or faith stories that we hear people tell in churches go something like this. My life was a mess. It was a wreck. I was a sinner like this and this and this. And then I met Jesus. And man, he totally cleaned up my life. And now my life is so much better. It's so wonderful. You want Jesus too. You need to have Jesus just like me. Okay, that's kind of a typical kind of testimony that we hear today. Paul's testimony was completely different. He says, my, my life used to be awesome. I had everything. I, I was the awesome Jew. I had the reputation. I had the life that every Jew wanted to be like, respect and honor. I had righteousness. I had zeal. I had all the status and accomplishments. Everybody wanted to be like me. And then I met Christ. And just, I, I learned that all that was garbage. It's nothing compared to Christ. Now, what I absolutely want is I want you to be like me. I want you to sign up like me. And he's writing this while he's in jail. I want you to suffer with me. I want you to be ready to die with me. I want you to follow Christ because it's awesome. This is a gospel testimony. It's not selling Something cheap. It's offering something so deep, it's better than everything. And it's worth suffering. It, it's, 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 I love Jesus even if all this goes wrong. I love Jesus even if this goes wrong. Instead of, I'll love Jesus if he lets me hang on to my sin too. Okay. I love Jesus if he lets me to hang on to this and this and this and this. Paul says, no, I... I will let go of everything. I love Jesus anyway. I'm in chains, and I've counted a blessing. I'm suffering with him, and this fellowship with him is so sweet. It's so amazing. I'm suffering right next to him, side by side, and he's given me everything I need. This testimony is just a little bit different, but true and challenging. And he's telling these Philippians, very in real ways, you need to learn how to rejoice no matter what's happening. I'm totally rejoicing. For me to live is Christ. That's what it's about. And to die is gain. I can't lose. I want you to be like me. Amen? Let's go home. No, I mean, really, if we get this, we get the vehicle that takes us far beyond we were ever able to drive before in our little clunker. 
I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Christ followers don't achieve righteousness, they receive it. Point number two. Trade in your old clunker. What is your old clunker? Self-righteousness. It's not a vehicle that can get you there. There is no way to get there on self-righteousness. In fact, let's put up a quote on the screen. Self-righteousness is delusional and dangerous. It's a counterfeit religious approach to spirituality based on false pride. I forgot to change my quote and I put it in the computer correctly. Self-righteousness is delusional and dangerous. It's a counterfeit religious approach based on pride. Jesus said this in Matthew 5.20, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Which shocked the Jews. As far as righteousness were concerned, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the model righteous people. They were so extreme in their zeal and their righteousness, they had it all. They were the respected ones. They were the ones that had this righteousness. And yet, there was a sneaky suspicion that it was not quite as thorough as would appear, as zealous as they were and as meticulous as they were because they kind of came across mean to anybody else. And Jesus is saying to the crowd, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you, let me say it again, will, not, will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what is this surpassing righteousness that Jesus is talking about? Read the Sermon on the Mount. He describes it. It's a thoroughgoing righteousness from the inside out. It's a goodness that's permeated the whole being. It's not just this outward show that the Pharisees were so good at. And he just goes through it piece by piece by piece, not explaining real clearly to the crowd how to get to this righteousness, but clearly explaining what it looks like. Now, once the accomplishment of Jesus' victory on the cross takes place, Now we can start talking about how we get this vehicle to move from where we are, unrighteous people, to truly good people. And that's what Paul describes, and Jesus did too. But at this point in his ministry, it still sounds cryptic to the crowd. Next quote on the screen, there is a surpassing righteousness that comes by knowing Jesus personally and intimately and living to please him from your heart with his help. Please read that with me together out loud. There is a surpassing righteousness that comes by knowing Jesus personally and intimately and living to please him from your heart with his help. Now, the opening screen on this whole series is of a glass that's being filled up with the grace of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ, the spirit of Jesus Christ given to us, filling us up to overflowing so that we can be a blessing to others as we're blessed, receive what we do not deserve because of what Jesus paid for, for us and gave us through his victory on the cross. With his help, we can experience a surpassing righteousness. 
Let's look at verses 7 through 9 again. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. Did I say again? Did I read this section yet? Yes, I did. For the sake of Christ, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteous that comes from, righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, we're talking about junking the clunker that's worth garbage, letting it go so that God can give us the vehicle that actually takes us from where we are to righteousness. Now let me just quickly define righteousness. Righteousness is looking more like Jesus. We'll call it Christ-likeness, okay? Um, So that's what we're talking about. So which will it be for you? Will it be surpassing worth of knowing Jesus or will it be the garbage? Now, it's interesting because what he's calling garbage is everything that he formerly thought was his assets, his strongest strengths, what he had to bring before God so that God could be pleased with him. He was busy trying to please God with all of these strength of assets and efforts to be righteous, but it all comes out self-righteousness. I'm doing good so that God can be pleased with me and... Paul says, I didn't realize how God looked at this. As far as the way God looked at this, it was garbage. Absolute garbage. Philippians 3.8, I consider them garbage. Now, let me just describe garbage to you. The word for garbage here in the Greek is skubala. Um, you can pronounce it how you want to and we will never know whether you're right or I'm right because ancient Greek is no longer spoken the same way as modern Greek is spoken, skubala, all right? Now, skubala only shows up in the Bible one time, right here. Now, one of the reasons why it probably only shows up in the Bible one time right here is it's a coarse, ugly word that you wouldn't expect to have a preacher say. Let me put some words together that are gleaned from the Greek lexicons that describe this word. Skubala is a word used for refuse, rubbish, leavings, dirt, dung, specifically human excrement, but used for muck of many kinds. Excrement, rotten food, bits left at a meal, a rotting corpse. It is a word for nastiness and decay. It is a coarse, ugly, violent word implying worthlessness, uselessness, and repulsiveness. It's a repulsive and revolting word. No wonder... In God's word, it only shows up once. But Paul is making an effort to shock his listeners into recognizing the thing that they are promoting as an asset is far from being an asset, is a total liability. When you think you're doing good before God and you keep doing that thing that you feel like you're doing good before God and it's your doing good on your own, it's taking you step by step in the 
absolute opposite direction. It's like in the race towards God, you set your marker going in the opposite direction as the race that's actually taking you to God. We talk about helping people take steps from wherever they are to where God wants them to be. It's taking steps opposite direction when you think you're earning God's approval with your righteousness. With every step, you're going further and further and further away from God, thinking you've got this, or you're doing this, and you're good. No, that is not it. That, my friends, is so repulsive to God. It gags him to even think about tasting of that form of righteousness. And he's trying to shock you into saying, no, 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 no. That's filthy. The only kind of righteousness that is good and true righteousness is a righteousness that combines my faith with Jesus' accomplishment and it comes together in a purity where now it looks like he's filling me up with his goodness and out of his goodness and overflow, because of my faith, it is now a blessing to God and to me and to others. Overflow. As a gift. Fully paid for by Jesus, not you. Your clunker is not only worth nothing on the trade-in, it's actually got negative value against the trade-in. It's worse than an asset. It's a liability with negative value. It's like if you were an auto dealer, that you could buy the car for cash for this amount. Now that you're bringing the clunker, they gotta take this too, they're gonna add times two. Or worse, okay? And that's using apples for oranges in comparison, but you're getting the point, I believe. It's repulsive. Point number three. Exchange it for surpassing worth. Exchange it for surpassing worth. Philippians 3, 8 again. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Okay, so let's put this in context. You Philippians, they're trying to tell you to do this and this and this and this in this Jewish form of righteousness. That has been nailed up on the cross. That is no more. Our righteousness is by faith in Christ. That stuff that they're trying to get you to do, that you're, you're thinking you got in the vehicle that's gonna get you closer to God and God's approval, it's actually taking you away from God's approval because it's taking away from the glory of Jesus' victory. You gotta dump that trash. It's time to hang on to faith in Jesus and the surpassing worth of knowing him personally to actually bring about true goodness inside of your life. Okay, so important. How does true righteousness come? Oh, let's read the verse. Verse nine. And be found in him not a, not a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now you have the answer. Let me ask the question. How does true righteousness come? On the basis of faith. Faith forms an alliance between us and God through Jesus Christ. You're trusting what God has done when he sent a mediator, a mediator to take upon himself your sin and take it away. 
and give in exchange because you're trusting him, his righteousness that clothes you and transforms you through his spirit poured into you so that you can, over time, in this vehicle, take steps from where you are, not by earning. Grace is not opposed to effort, but it is totally opposed to earning, thinking that you're purchasing this somehow. You're purchasing God's approval somehow. There is an effort of faith that connects and says, I'm all yours. But there's no earning in it. And as you receive in this alliance, let's call it in this new covenant God made for us through Jesus Christ, we are empowered by Christ's spirit to experience true righteousness. Tim Keller, who was a fabulous teacher, fantastic pastor, just passed away a few weeks ago. And it's a sad loss. Um, He wrote this. Sin isn't only doing bad things. It is more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God. Sin is primarily idolatry. He gives the following examples. If you center your life and identity on your spouse or partner, you will be emotionally dependent, jealous, and controlling. If you center your life and identity on your children, you will try to live your life through your children until they resent you or have no self of their own. If you center your life and identity on your work and career, you will be driven. You could become a workaholic or very boring, shallow person. At worst, you will lose your family and friends, and if your career goes poorly, you'll develop depression. If you center your life and identity on money and possessions, you'll be eaten up by worry and you'll be willing to do unethical things to maintain your lifestyle, which will eventually blow up in your life. If you center your life and identity on pleasure, gratification, and comfort, you will find yourself getting addicted to something. If you center your life and identity on a noble cause, you will divide the world into good and bad and demonize your opponents. If you center your life and identity on religion and morality, you will, if you are living up to your moral standards, be proud, self-righteous, and cruel. If you don't live up to your moral standards, your guilt will be utterly devastating. The answer to all this is the same. Center your life and identity on Jesus. Life's not about you. Life's all for him. It's from him. It's for his glory. And it comes through you if you allow that true identity, who he has made you to be, become your identity. At age 72, Tim Keller passed away a few weeks ago with pancreatic cancer. In his last few breaths, his last words included... There is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Isn't it interesting that we know that one out of one persons dies? (laughs) 
And at the same time, we live as if that's not an incontrovertible truth. We live as if it's not going to happen to us. We totally ignore that and try to live now and not think about it, not talk about it, not plan for it, not prepare for it. And we need to live for eternity. We've got to trade in this false value system. It's time to trade everything in. Any clunker that cannot take us from wherever we are to where God wants us to be. Trade it in for Jesus. He gives true life, true righteousness, true goodness. He offers the infinite source and infinite value. And what do we have to give up for it? That which we can't keep anyway. Trade in your clunkers. It runs really bad. Why are we hanging on so tight to it? Begin to look at Jesus and a life in him. Once you start looking, you'll want it, and you'll want it really bad, and it's already paid for. You need Jesus. He pours himself into us, cleansing us, filling us with grace enough for us, enough for us and overflowing with grace toward others. We need Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for such clarity of thought that you gave Paul. What's such profound and powerful, challenging words to live for you. We have a lot of clunkers that we still cling to. We want to trade them in, let them go, and hang on to you in a relationship with you and in that intimacy experience your life and our lives in an allegiance together, an alliance, a covenant, a unity, a loyalty, both directions, exclusive, letting go of those things which detract from our loyalty to you. Lord, whatever it is that we have as assets, help us to see them for what they are if they are actually liabilities keeping us from depending upon you and looking to you. We ask for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Got a prayer team to the left of the stage there for you. If you've got anything to pray about, thank you for joining us today. Hope to see you next week. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.